Um, I'm going to read from Hebrews 4, uh, reminding us um, what God's word is like and how it works. The writer says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Well, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that we've heard it read this morning. We've sung it. We've prayed it. And thank you that we get an opportunity now to, to dig deeply into these three verses. We pray that you would soften our hearts. We pray that your word would um, work like that, that scalpel, that surgeon's knife, that sword. Now that you would be at work in us. And show us the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Reshape them. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I guess it's possibly true for much of the Christian faith, but I wonder if you think that the, the reality of the ascension just all sounds a bit weird. That is the fact that Jesus in his body, in his flesh, with eyebrows and arm hair and elbows, went to be with his father in heaven, as Hannah's just read for us ascended into clouds so they couldn't see him and he's he's there now and he's there until he will return again does that just sound a bit weird for you or maybe if it's not weird then is it strategically or tactically a bit naive by by jesus ascending it removes the key piece of evidence for the resurrection the, the truth that corroborates and confirms the claims of the Christian faith. Why, why would he go? Why would you take him away? If he was here walking around and talking for everyone to see, then and that would prove that he was resurrected. It would prove that God keeps his promises. It would prove we are forgiven. So, so why is he gone? If he was here, then that would shut people up, wouldn't it? The detractors. That would change the kind of landscape of reality entirely. And so why does he claim that it's better for his disciples that he leaves? Well, why, does, why do the scriptures claim that his ascension is so vital, so important? Well, there are loads we could say this morning, but just for now, from these three verses, I want to say two things. And it may well be actually that we um, cover some of this ascension uh, theology in a topical series in the future because I'm aware that um, for many of us we're a bit wobbly or we haven't really thought these things through carefully enough. Um, the ascension really is an important doctrine, it's one that we're not that familiar with, but two things to say this morning um, from these three verses. The two things are the ascension comforts us and the ascension confronts us. Okay, so comfort and confront. The first point, the ascension comforts us and you see we are or we ought to be comforted by the ascension because Jesus's work is finished not because he's doing nothing now but because his work on the cross has been completed it's that stage of salvation history is over job done for Jesus now at least in part as the book of Hebrews would put it, he, he sits down at the right hand of God. and He's at the right hand because he's in the place of honour. And he sat down because his saving work is done. 
His work on the cross is finished, which is or which ought to be a profound comfort for, for you, for me. It also means it sounds a bit simplistic, but it means that the disciples won't see him again. There's a finality about this moment. For, for the last 40 days, there have been numbers of moments and occasions and encounters with the risen Jesus, seen by a few in ones and twos and tens and far more, seen by crowds and gatherings, barbecues on the beach, Bible studies on the road, in locked rooms and in the countryside. And, and now that's going to finish because he's ascended. He's gone and he will come back. But for now, he's not here. Which I guess doesn't sound hugely comforting. But, you know, Luke writes in a way that he wants us to join the dots. He's very careful. His, his language, in particularly verse 9, is loaded. He's making theological statements that we're meant to understand. Um, let me read verse 9 again for us and show you why I think that is. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Two key elements for us to latch onto and wrestle with from that verse. Number one, he's taken up. Number two, there's a cloud hiding him from their sight. Now, clouds in the Bible, you may be aware, uh, speak of God's presence and his glory. But just zoom in on the pairing of those two things, the cloud and the being hidden. You might remember from Mark, the Gospel of Mark back in the autumn, as we think of clouds and being hidden, perhaps your brain is rushing towards the transfiguration. Do you remember it? Do you remember Jesus took Peter, John and James with him up onto a mountain to pray and he's transfigured before them. And then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. But then a bit further on, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud and a voice from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So they ascend up the mountain and a cloud covers them and then they see Elijah and Moses there. And he talks to Elijah and Moses about how he would leave. And it's interesting, both Elijah and Moses ascend into clouds if we know their stories. Do you remember Elijah when he dies? The chariot, 2 Kings 2, ascends and there are clouds. Or Moses, when he goes up onto Mount Sinai, Exodus 24, up into clouds. Elijah ascending into clouds into God's presence. Moses ascending into clouds into God's presence. And, but is that a comfort? Do you feel comforted by that? Why is that a comfort? Why is Luke drawing these parallels for us? What does God want us to see? Well, Elijah, I take it Jesus is a great prophet like Elijah. His, his life in many ways parallels Elijah, but magnified. There are miracles, there's teaching, there's confrontation. He's a prophet like Elijah, but also I think particularly like Moses. As you back in Exodus, Moses does ascend up onto Sinai into the clouds so they can't see him. And I think probably when it comes to the ascension, that's the key thing we're meant to latch on to, at least at this point. Because like Moses, Jesus acts as a priest. He is a, a mediator for us. Now, I've got a little image. There we go. That's not high five. That's praying like a priest, okay? Jesus acts as a priest, a mediator, one who stands between a holy and righteous and pure God 
and his sinful, messy, impure people. Just as Moses stood between God and his people on Mount Sinai, so Jesus does the same for us. Jesus is like a mediator. In fact, it's one of the key applications from the left of the Hebrews. If you've read Hebrews, perhaps you'll know that. It's such a comfort for us because as Jesus stands there before his father, his, the presence of Jesus, his resurrected body is a visible reminder that, friends, if you're trusting him, your sin is dealt with and you are clean. You can be comforted by that. He's a mediator like Moses. Standing before the father on your behalf and where you perhaps... You know, you beat yourself up about past mistakes, things that still dog you or cause you real shame or guilt or embarrassment or, or grief. Or where you still keep mucking up hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month. You keep getting it wrong and you make the same mistakes again and again and again and you just kick yourself. Oh, done it again. Said it again. Thought it again. Maybe you don't feel worthy. Then you can know that the presence of Jesus as your sufficient sacrifice before your father in heaven is enough. Isn't that a comfort? He sits at the father's right hand. Mediating for us. Reminding God the father that he has died for his children, that he he loves us. And there's nothing we can do to make our ourselves more forgiven or more acceptable or more pardoned or excused or exonerated before God. It's been done. It's enough. Be, be comforted by that. We've said before that lockdown has in some ways acted like a bit of like one of those mirrors you get in the kind of brightly lit hotel bathrooms you know the ones I mean they magnify your features so at least for some of us we can see all our kind of blemishes and our imperfections and things that we didn't realize were there until we look a bit closer and suddenly you see that they are so lockdown has shown us all our impatience and our anger and our selfishness and our immaturity and our short fuses maybe even our, our idolatry as believers the things that have been taken away and we realise that we depended on them far too much. The little gods we've bowed down to. Jesus' body broken for you is enough. And there he stands before our Father in heaven, reminding him of that death, of his death in our place. And that is a comfort. That is such a comfort. So he's a priest like Moses, mediating for you and me. He, he's gone up, he's hidden by cloud. He's a priest like Moses, but as well as that, actually, he's a king too. He's a king. Second little image. There we go. If we've been reading through Luke, we would know that Jesus is the king we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah that God's people have been looking forward to. And Luke has shown us the authority that he has. He's shown us this tension that's increased as Jesus has journeyed closer and closer to Jerusalem and the cross has come into clearer and clearer focus. But the real climax of the journey, his real um, triumphal entry, is not when he enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
Now his real triumphal entry is when he enters into heaven, when he ascends. As the triumphant king with all authority over heaven and earth. That is where we see his true triumph. That is where he is welcomed by the Father. And what we have this morning, these three short verses, is actually Daniel 7, but from the other side. Let me explain to you what I mean. From this perspective, from the perspective of the ground and with the disciples, we, we see a man entering the heavens to be where God is. But the camera, if you like, is at ground level. As Jesus leaves, it, it, he's looking up. It, it sees the reality, but from this side. Or what would it be like if we could take the camera into heaven to experience the arrival from there, from the other side? So not having the camera at ground level, but if you like having the camera at God level. What would that be like? Well, the answer is we can. It's there in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Let me read um, that verse for us. It'll be familiar for some of us. Daniel 7 and verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, says Daniel, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And then get this verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so our comfort comes from the fact he's not just a priest, a mediator like Moses, standing between us and God, re reminding God of, of his death in our place. Not just a priest, no, he's an eternal global king who's been given all power and authority taken to be with the father and and that's a comfort because because it means we can trust him it means we can trust him because it, as we live in this broken and bruised and bruising world we can know that nothing is outside of the control of king jesus nothing at all nothing is too scary nothing is too big for him or too much for him nothing is too complicated for him now, he's in charge. And, and that is a comfort because we might look ahead to the coming 12 months with a level of uncertainty. With a level of anxiety. Or we might look at that, that meeting in our diary and our heart rate raises. And there's stress. Maybe the phone call that comes that we've been dreading for weeks and finally it arrives with those test results or whatever it might be, or, or the redundancy or the failed exams or, or friendships that have fallen apart or simply life not going as we expected. Whatever it might be, Jesus is king. His job is finished. He has all authority. His dominion is an everlasting one that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We can trust him. He's king. And so, friends, consider Jesus in heaven now and be comforted. Comforted because he's, he's your mediatorial priest like Moses. Comforted, he's the, he is the powerful son of man king, given all authority. He's got you. Look ahead to this week with concern and anxiety. He's got you. You can trust him.
you really can and so the ascension is there to comfort us but i want to say as well secondly the ascension not just comforts us but it confronts what do i mean by that let me read verse 10 and 11 again they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them men of galilee they said why do you stand here looking into the sky this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. I love that. You've got um, Jesus' arrival as a baby. He, he came with angels. Jesus' resurrection, accompanied by angels. His departure, marked by angels. But did you notice what these two angels said? We've already mentioned there's a sense of finality the finished work of Jesus he's he's ascended he's sat down it's his job done at least in terms of his work on the cross but of course the story is not finished yet no his his work of salvation is done his victory is certain but that news needs to be shared around the news that Jesus has conquered sin and death that he has all authority that Satan has been defeated that his, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, that he has all power. That news needs to be shared around. And we said last week, it's not just lifestyle advice. Or it's not just a new hobby to take up or try on a Sunday morning. Or it's not just even something that's true for some people. But this is news. This is reality. If you were in the right place at the right time, you could have seen him. You could have seen him. This happened. This is not just your truth or my truth, but the truth. If we've been in the right place at the right time, we could have seen him as he ascended, or at least not seen him, because clouds of God's presence would have welcomed him. It's a global task. As Phil was reminding us, it's from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a task that will only be finished when he returns again and so we're confronted because we have a job to do to share that news one writer puts it well they said the ascension establishes the age of mission both because the king is on the throne and because the king is absent I'll say it again. The, the ascension establishes the age of mission, both because the king is on the throne and because the king is absent. So because he's at the right hand of the father sat down. But also because he's not here. So there's a slightly kind of comical discussion, it seems. The angels ask with a level of confusion or pointedness or whatever it is. They say, uh, so, so lads, what are you um, what are we looking for? up there what what are you staring at are you are you looking up into the sky for a reason and the disciples are like well we're looking for jesus he seems to have oh, we're not quite sure actually so the angels then imply well did he tell you what to do next well yeah he, he just said when to go back to, okay well don't drop the baton stop looking up into the sky it's your turn now you get back to jerusalem and you do as you've been told this is the plan He'll not be gone forever. One day he'll come back. But until then, you've got a job to do, they say. You've got something to be cracking on with. You wait in Jerusalem and you'll know what to do. 
Let's say verse 12, they head back to Jerusalem. And as we've said, it, it was true for them, but, but it's true for us as well. He's gone, he's ascended, and so now it's our time. In fact, now it's the time for the church all over the world to share the message of the resurrection of Jesus and his power. All dominion and power has been given to him. He has been raised, he has ascended, one day he will return. So this is the transition moment that we've just seen. The transition moment between the physical body of Christ ascending and there being a new body of Christ, that is the church, replacing it. And so now we're his hands and his feet. We're the means by which he is at work. We are the means by which Jesus continues to do his mission as we follow in the apostolic witness. And again, where we feel we're not up to the task, or we just think, I'm just not sure I can do that. I haven't got enough energy or knowledge, or I feel like too much of a coward, or I haven't got space in my week, or I'm just not, just not sure I'm up for talking to my friends about Jesus. Well, he's gone, that he might send his spirit, that he might empower us and equip us and enable us to do the task that he calls us to. Just a few verses time, Peter will preach his first sermon and he, he will say to the people listening, to the crowds listening, that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. But then get this, he says, for David, King David didn't ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That is Jesus now, the Lord, at the right hand of the Father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He is the conquering king and his kingdom is set to grow and expand and flourished. And, and yet he's not come back yet because he's being patient. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what have we said? We said he's a king with power. He's poured out his spirit on us that we might take the news about him everywhere. And yet he's not returned because he's growing his kingdom. Maybe you look around the world and you think, well, is he? Is uh is the kingdom growing? We can miss that in the UK, can't we? Because in, in many ways it feels like his kingdom is shrinking. Look around the place and you see churches closing. Churches made into all kinds of other things. Houses, hotels, offices, nightclubs. You see denominations contracting. Fewer and fewer people working in, in different denominations. But actually just this month, early this month, I was reading of the church in Iran. And maybe you've heard some of the news from there recently. But in the last 20 years, more Iranians have become Christians than in the previous 1300 years since Islam arrived in Iran. I read this. I read in 1979, there was an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands. Some say more than a million. According to Operation World, Iran has the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. And the second fastest growing church is in Afghanistan, where Afghans are being reached in large part by Iranians who are taking the gospel to them. 
they are taking the news of the resurrected, ascended Jesus. And the church is growing. And this is what Jesus continues to do. As his people are empowered by him, they share the news of his victory to the ends of the earth. And his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. I mean, at this point, there were 10 disciples. 10 disciples, and it seems 100 or so other followers. They felt tiny, insecure, anxious, afraid, confused, overshadowed. You've got the Romans looming large on one side. You've got the religious elite looming large on the other side. And these, these weak and powerless disciples who just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, had scarpered and run. And yet look what's happened. With a message about their victorious, resurrected, ascended king, empowered by his spirit, poured out on his people, and the world was changed forever extraordinary and maybe we feel tiny insecure anxious afraid confused overshadowed not by the romans but maybe i don't know maybe the secular humanists looming large over us loud and angry atheists or, or oxford looming large over us and we feel tiny Friends, we have a message about our victorious, resurrected, ascended King to share, empowered by his Holy Spirit, poured out on us. He never calls us to do something that he won't equip us for. And so let's ask for his help to do it now. Let's pray that he would help us know both the comfort and the confrontation of the ascension. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the ascended Lord Jesus who sat down at your right hand. We thank you for the comfort that that brings us as we know he is a priest like Moses mediating for us. We thank you, we know he is a, he is a king, the son of man with all power and authority and dominion, and one day he will return. We thank you that as we look at the reality of our own sin, we are comforted because we know that you have forgiven us because of him. We thank you that when we look at the mess of this world, we are comforted because we know that he is still in charge and he is good. We thank you that he is a kind and gracious king. And yet we feel something of that confrontation as well. As, as we now have a task to do as we share that news to those around us. Thank you that you don't leave us on our own to do it. Thank you that you give us your spirit as we've heard these last few weeks. And so we pray that you would help us to be brave and to open our mouths. To speak to those we love about who you are and what you've done. And we pray that you would help us to do that more and more. Help us to be those who pray for opportunities. Help us to be those who take those opportunities. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.